Hi, I'm Bonnie. Um, I, I'm helping to facilitate these calls for the folks at Orton and Community Matters. Um, today we're talking about open government with Justin Hazler. Um, I don't know if it's uh, some kind of uh, sign that we're having some technological difficulties, but I'm going to uh, gloss, gloss over that component. <laughs> uh, and uh, just to let everyone know, the call is now being recorded, so if, uh, if we get cut off again, maybe uh, we'll be able to throw up the recording onto the Community Matters website. Today we're going to look at some of the challenges um, that, that comes with trying to implement open government protocols and, and technology in communities. Um, and just to, to go over some of the core protocols here, I, uh, I'm, I'm going through the, the first few minutes here of the agenda and the introductions. We'll be opening up for questions and discussion um, shortly and then finishing up with some thoughts from everyone on the kinds of actions we can take based on, on the insights that we learned today. Today, what we really want to try and focus on is collecting the, the insight and the thoughts from everyone on the call around the implementation of open government and the big challenges that we face doing this. Um, we've got Dustin Hazel on the line from Maine, Texas, uh, who is now the uh, Government Relations Director for Spigot, is that right, Dustin? Yes, Government Innovation Director for Spigot, that's right. Excellent. Uh, and so Dustin's one of the, I guess, most experienced people, certainly that I know, around the implementation of open government, and he's had some great success with his work in Maynard and now with Spigot. Um, so what I, what I would ask everyone to do, just before I, I let Dustin take it away, is um, if you have any questions or comments, to add them into the Google Doc with your name, and I'll be able to moderate those questions to Dustin and also to Yasmin, who will be providing some insight as well. Um, so if everyone can put themselves on mute and, uh, and use that doc to, to unload any comments or insight or questions. Um, and Dustin, I'll hand over to you to give us a little introduction. Great. Well, uh, I, I'm looking forward to getting to share some of my experiences. I don't claim to be an expert by any means. I, I always like learning from other people and, and sharing what I know and what I can, so I look forward to learning from you all today as well. So a little bit about me. Um, I actually had a career in banking that most people don't know and, and got uh, sucked up into city government uh, within the city of Maynard. This is my first post within a municipal government and uh, really started trying to change the challenges or solve the challenges that local governments have within the area. And I uh, learned a lot in doing that and have partnered with a lot of different entities to try to make things uh, better and, and a little bit more progressive and innovative for local governments. I recently joined Spigot um, to lead their government services and to work with agencies of all sizes. Uh, my passion is still in smaller cities, but uh, just finished a, uh, a pilot project for the city of New York. So. Uh, so have some experience with the scalability aspects of some of these technologies. So a little bit about Maynard and my experience in Maynard. Maynard is a small community located just east of Austin, Texas, and the population is approximately 6,500 people, um, although there's about 12 to 13,000 in the immediate area, so it's a relatively small city. Uh, while I was there, there were 34 employees, uh, which is a very small base of people to solve uh, and maintain services for citizens within Maynard but it also made us operate more like a startup. 
and uh, and have to address a lot of the challenges that we faced like a startup company. And uh, we, we learned a lot together in doing that and, and celebrated great success in working with other other cities as well. So some of the projects, some of our most notable projects, just, just to give a quick overview, um, one of the projects being QR codes. And, and what a QR code is, is it's a two-dimensional barcode. stands for Quick Response Barcode. And you may see them affixed to various things. Like uh, the other day I was in Best Buy and saw QR codes on the products. And you can read these QR codes with your cell phone. And when you scan it with your cell phone, uh, you're directed to a web page that has more information about what you just scanned. And so in Maynard, we put these on various city projects as well as various city assets and, and other historical aspects of the community to allow the residents to, to scan these barcodes to find out more information about various things in the community. In addition, we looked at new ways to allow people to report problems within the community. And so one of them being using C-Click Fix, which is a tool that's out of New Haven, Connecticut, um, that allowed people to report potholes uh, in the community. Now, one of the great things about it, and, and, and one of the funny things about it, is you can actually vote for your least favorite pothole, which allows the city to prioritize the response to the potholes. So it proved to be quite a successful tool in providing services and answering service requests uh, that was very, very affordable and very low cost for our city. And since it used the cloud infrastructure, we didn't have to actually have any dedicated hardware or physical infrastructure on our end to do it. So that was a great success. And and uh, one of my favorites, and I've actually joined the company that uh, we used for this, is Maynard Labs. And uh, Maynard Labs is a technology that's powered by Spigot. And what it does is it collects ideas from a community or a crowd. Um, in Maynard, the crowd was employees and citizens and anyone else that wanted to share ideas on what the city could do better and what the city could do more efficiently uh, to solve our challenges and our problems. And the great thing about it is it didn't just collect concepts, but it really processed these concepts and made them more actionable. And one of the important things about crowdsourcing is that at the end of the day, if you collect a bunch of concepts, there's a bunch of concepts, but you want to make sure that you have a process tied to it to actually distribute the development work of it. So an analogy being, imagine a seed growing into a tree. It's a, it's a very daunting task, but it's really uh, a great analogy of how complex it is to take an idea from concept to solution. And that seed has to be watered, it has to be cultivated, and it has to be grown. And so with Maynard Labs, that work was actually crowdsourced, and it was done by the citizens and by employees, and it allowed the process to be truly distributed and uh, be much more effective and much more transparent for the city. Again, having 34 employees, it was quite difficult to allocate resources within the city to solve challenges, so having the citizens and bringing their various expertise to the table proved to be quite effective. So that's just kind of a, a very quick overview of some of the programs, and I know, as Bonnie said, we're going to dive into some of the challenges, but I'll, uh, I'll hand it over to Yasmin. Yasmin, do you want to jump in and give a quick introduction? Hi, everyone. Yeah, sure. Um, um, yeah, so I'm Yasmin. I'm happy to be on the call today um, and really excited to hear what some of the solutions that you guys have for some of the challenges that, we, um, that we're coming across here. Um, I did some work in the City excuse me, Department of Education around data, open data, um, so hopefully can address some of uh, your questions if you have any in that area as well. Um, should right. I jump to my comment or? 
sure. I'll, just to give to give a quick overview, the the challenges that we're specifically referring to on this call are the three that were listed in the Community Matters blog post. First one, um, Justin's touched on them all. Uh, the the implementation of the QR codes and the challenges around getting people to use them. Uh, the release of data online um, and the challenges inherent in opening up data in government. Um, and then the, the real, real challenge that I think a lot of people face around community participation and, um, and what, what can actually be done around the integration of community feedback. Um, so hopefully there's, there's a bunch of people on the call that can add to, to that conversation. Um, I think we may have lost a few people when we, when we did have the technical difficulties. So I'm going to um, try and open it up so that everyone can have a say and everyone can, can add in some comments. So please get ready to, uh, to share your own comments and, and thoughts on this stuff. But Yasmin, why don't you take it away with, uh, I know you have a, a comment in the document right now. So why don't you uh, kick it off with that? Um, thanks. Um, yeah, so in the first challenge around QR codes, um, you know, as Dustin was explaining, it sounds like there's a lot of exciting uses for them um, in Nader. And one of the challenges that uh, he listed was uptake and getting people to actually use them. Um, and I, I hear this quite often, actually. You know, we build these products and these tools, um, but we're not really quite sure how to get people to adopt them. Um, so in this case, um, I'm curious to hear uh, how Dustin responded. I think that one thing that's really important is to have more research and information about what kinds of information people want to have. So it's great to put up QR codes, but unless it's filling some kind of information gap or information need, um, I think it will be difficult for people to use them. Um, that being said, there's a tension between giving people the information that they want um, and giving people information that they don't know that they want yet. Um, so yeah, that's one idea I had. I'm curious to hear what other people um, think about the adoption issue. So to just echo off of that, Dustin here, um, yeah, I mean QR code adoption and, and any type of emerging technology adoption definitely has its challenges associated with it. And, and you hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, uh, you mentioned it's got to have an inherent business value, which is one thing I say with all of these open government and Gov2O technologies is up front you need to associate a business value with the technology. And so with QR codes, the problem was that when it came to open data, we only provided half, uh, or we only provided the information halfway. Uh, citizens were having trouble sifting through some of the open data, and so we wanted to make it more interactive, and we wanted to make it something that was very easy for citizens to uh, find out information. And so we took a gamble on QR codes, partly because they're free uh, to generate and free to read, but partly as an experiment and in the state of experimentation to see what technologies our citizens uh, could leverage and use to better understand their government agency. And so, you know, whenever you build a, a capital construction project or any type of project that uses bond money, you're required to put notification out front. And, and that notification is fine, but it's always a little bit overwhelming because it provides essentially like a credit card terms of service, too much information. 
And people sometimes just want to know how much a project costs and, and maybe some real-time information about the project or uh, you know what it is the project does. Um, and so I always give the example of one of the water tanks we built, and we put information within a QR code, uh, real-time information about the project. Since it linked to a website, we could always update the website with information. And we also put, what is this water tank going to do for me? Because it's important for people to understand you know, that the water tank is actually not just for storage, but it's for water pressure, and that there's an inherent business value to the infrastructure and to spending that money on, um, on them as a taxpayer. So we used QR codes to try to make things more interactive, and um, definitely engagement-wise and uptake-wise, there were some challenges up front, but by an education campaign, we were able to overcome those challenges, um, and, and really the, the key to doing that was going into the schools and teaching uh, the kids about the technology, and it was amazing how quick those uh, those QR reader apps got onto their parents' phones. So that's just one quick kind of lesson learned about uh, the Maynard QR code program. Um, it's still in a continuous state of improvement because things are going to change, technology is going to change, and so Maynard's testing out passive RFIDs on them um, to to see uh, the uptake on that. So there's there's various mechanisms that you can use, um, but the point was not just to overwhelm the citizen with the, the standard information as required by law, but to make things interactive and fun for them to, to play around with. That's a really great comment, Dustin. Um, the, I think the, the use of an education campaign in schools is, is a particularly interesting one, certainly to me. Can you elaborate on that a little more, how you, how you got into the schools and sure. what you actually did in terms of teaching the kids how to use these? Right, so so technology is a part of our day-to-day -day lives, whether we like it or not, and it's very important in schools, and I'm very passionate about its place in schools, especially emerging technology. So really, it came down to, um, you know, cell phones are, uh, most cell phones are banned in schools, you can't take them out, but it came down to actually, you know, working with the teacher to allow students to take them out and to, uh, you know, play with the technology. Uh, the city manager and I did a presentation, uh, several presentations at various schools all over, about what the technology was, and we tried to make it fun and interactive for them and taught them how to make codes, and they were able to print them out, and they were taping them on one another, and, and <laughs> it just it became a game to them, but they immediately got the technology. And so in, in return, they wanted to go to Mainer and see these you know digital QR code signs that were pasted up all around, and uh, that, that became very important um, in the engagement aspect of getting this to uptake with the community. And then another point was you know, teaching the community about the, the QR codes as well and what they were and how to read them. And so we used offline medias as well, being the, the local newspaper. We ran a QR code in the local newspaper and provided hints about how to read it. And since it links to a URL, we, will, we were able to track the amount of hits off of the codes to gauge uptake using the paper. Um, we also taught local businesses and developers about the technology, and not just about how they could use it to interact with the city, but how they could use it for their own businesses. Because, again, this technology is free, and it's a form of economic development for a developer or for a business that you know wants that cutting edge or wants that slight competitive advantage. So this became much more than just a communication tool between citizens and government. It became something that everyone in the community took ownership of. And it, it really, you know, is an education campaign. And, and most of these GovTool programs require some upfront education on what the technology is, what it is going to accomplish, and then you have to measure and adapt it going forward because nothing stays the same when it comes to technology. 
Uh, really great points there. Um, so so many that I kind of want to expand on a little. Um, you you mentioned working with the city manager and specific teachers to to get into the schools. Um, is that an avenue that you would you would recommend uh, for people that are trying to build up the presence of open gov uh, practices in their local government to target specific people in the organizations like the managers? Yeah, I think the schools are very important because we want to engage people and students who will eventually be voting citizens within a community on what government is, what it does, and that government is exciting and that you can do exciting things and you can be innovative in government. You know, I think back to the government classes uh, back in, you know, when I was in school, and, it, you know, it wasn't very exciting. I don't know about you, but, you know, I've, I always had an interest in politics, but it made it sound so bureaucratic. But the the goal is to get students involved and get them excited and get them thinking about new ways and new technologies that can be used to make government more efficient, to make government more open, and that can really change the way that government works. I mean, a lot of kids go to school and they want to change the world, and, uh, one of the best places for them to do that in is working for a government agency. They can really touch a lot of people. Uh, government agencies have, I would say, the largest customer base <laughs> versus any company because it's the constituent base. There's so much room to use these technolo technologies to have such a meaningful impact. So I think schools are great. It's good to have the kids understand the technology. It's good to have them um, understand the importance of it. Um, and, and many times they're using the technology already. So. <laughs> I would say it's, it's probably better for government agencies to go into schools and learn what they can do and, and learn what the new things are that are out there and how they can be leveraged within an agency. I, I want to throw it open to people on the call. Um, does, does anyone else have a specific challenge that they're facing right now about kind of starting off with the use of this technology in their community or, uh, or have a particular interest in QR codes uh, in particular? Feel free to jump in. Uh, we, I think, we lost a few people when we when we had the burnout with the conference line. So, um, if you if you'd like to jump in with a comment, um, please take yourself off mute and and join in the conversation. Or we'll, I'll keep going, and if uh, if anybody else wants to jump in, by all means, do. Um, what the the next challenge, Dustin, that we had in the in the blog post that you guys had have mentioned already is uh, looking at the release of data online uh, and starting to open up government data. What are the What are you finding of the inherent challenges in that? I think there's a lot of challenges in that from a community perspective. I mean, you have the, the fear of putting the information online, first of all. Uh, so the, the internal fear and the internal challenges of just getting the information online. Um, you also have technology issues. I mean, a lot of times government agencies are using archaic technologies that don't have an export to CSV format. They don't have a way that you can put the information online because they're, they're still looking for a way to, to read the information in the format it's in already. Um, so there's a lot of challenges when it comes to that. I also think that, um, you know, when it comes to open data, 
we have this notion of putting data sets online as being open data. So we, you know, make a repository of data sets in a CSV format, and we, uh, you know, call that transparency and openness, and that's incredibly important. So I don't want to undermine the, the notion of putting data sets online. But I also want to make another point about that, that it's critical that we make sure that citizens can actually interpret the information that we provide. So instead of just giving them a phone book and saying, look up the number, why don't we give them the number they're looking for to begin with? So we had a, a good example of that with the, sh the Sunshine Review. I uh, awoke one morning to find a blog post that rated Maynard as an F when it came to transparency. And uh, it was quite shocking because uh, we were supposed to be a gleaming gem of Gov 2.0 and the, the next generation of government transparency, and here we are you know, with an F on a blog post. And so I immediately went to respond because the information was online, but what I found is that the information was not easy to find. It was not all in one place, and a citizen really had to search. And it was a great lesson for me because in addition to fixing the problems and putting it all in one place and getting an A off of it, it taught me that you know, we're, never, <laughs> we're never going to arrive at a destination where we can say we're done there's always going to be changes and modifications that need to be done. And, and when it comes to open data, it's providing information in a format that's easy to understand for citizens. And so, you know, we, we relied on citizens being able to search the council member's name to find the council member's profile and actually send an email to them off of that and not have the information all in one place. And, uh, and we were wrong. And, uh, and I'll be the first one to admit we were wrong because I designed the system. And, uh, and I was wrong, but I learned from that, and I learned that when it comes to transparency, it's important that we focus on whether or not the information is understood. And if citizens have questions, we need to also provide them a channel to ask the questions about the information. Government agencies don't typically have the role as educators, but it's important because what I found in Maynard is that people need to understand how government works. Uh, when I started asking around the community about you know, where people thought we got budget money from, a lot of people thought we got money from the state or the federal government, and they didn't realize and they didn't understand that, you know, in fact, Maynard did not get, uh, get, did not get money from the state, um, and that, you know, from a city perspective, our budget was very, very strapped, and, uh, you know, we were facing a deficit. And so it was important to educate them, and, uh, and that's where things started breaking down is, you know, we needed to focus on education and allowing people to understand how cities work and allow them to find information so they can you know, read this stuff on their own. I mean, on the city manager page on the, on the Maynard website, we provided a Wikipedia link to what a city manager is and what their function is in government um, because that's information that we should provide. You know, some of the, some of the easiest information we think, ah, oh, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll know what it is. You know, they'll know how to read a CSV file or they'll know how to, you know, extract from a PDF using an OCR tool. <laughs> that's not true. We need to make sure that they can and that they understand it. Absolutely. Um, Yes, and in your work, uh, have you what, what challenges were you coming up against when you were looking at releasing data? Um, yeah, so in, in, in my work, one of the big challenges that we found was, again, kind of Dustin mentioned at the beginning, this idea of fear, um, and that if we release too much information that it could be used against us, um, and that it's hard to provide context in just the numbers. So, for example, um, you know, I worked in arts education, and so we put out data about which schools had um, arts teachers, how many students were getting the arts, um, and generally what the health of the arts were in schools. And for us, this was a way to 
um, you know, allow parents to select schools if they wanted their kids to go to a school with the arts. Um, and this is in New York City, so you have 1,500 schools. And it's hard sometimes to navigate um, the system without having a little bit more information about what each of the schools offer. Um, the challenge is we have also a really robust advocacy community. Um, and so while on the one hand we're trying to provide information, it sometimes shows holes in services. Um, and so, you know, the city can do what it can to try and fill those holes, and I think it's great to share data to make sure that um, government's being held accountable and addressing those challenges. Um, but it can be hard to deal with the um, political ramifications of that, kind of like Dustin said, you know, you're doing everything you can, but you still get an F. Um, and I think in our case, it was also about providing a little bit more context around, you know, here's this information. It's not perfect. Here's what we're doing to try and make the situation better. Um, and over time, those strategies did really help. But, you know, putting the information out there without any additional context was um, a little bit problematic for us. And so was there was there an element in there of, of once the, the information's out, how how people use that and then how uh, government can respond to that? Um, so people used it in, in different ways. I think there was citizens who used it to make decisions about well parents who used it to make decisions about their child's education. Um, but then there were also other groups that took the raw data and ran secondary analyses on it. So they started asking questions of the information um, that we hadn't looked at before. And I think, I, you know, the, the big thing from the government perspective is really getting over that first hurdle and understanding that you can't really control the information. Um, but if you create this expectation that it's there and that, you know, you're, con you're in a constant state of improvement. And so when you put out information, it's not to say that we're perfect. It's to say, this is what we are. We're constantly improving. We're constantly innovating. Um, and so you create a culture of openness between the constituents and the government. Uh, I think that's really key in, in, in making these initiatives flourish. In the spirit of openness, um, is there anyone on the call that has a question or a comment for Yasmin or Dustin? Yes, I have a question. Please go ahead. Just uh, let us know your name and, and who the question's for. Okay, my name is Gisela. I'm calling from Los Angeles. I'm the parent of a uh, public high school child. And my question is for Dustin regarding the um, use of the QR codes. I see that, you know, it appears that you put them out there and try to engage, you know, try to um, solicit the, enlist the community's involvement with what you were doing. But I, I didn't hear if you did anything as far as you uh, going to other existing, you know, community forums or individual forums to try to, you know, um, participate in what, they were doing. For example, my, a common complaint I have with the public education um, information system is that the school monitors and controls what kind of information is going out to the parents, but 
there's no, you know, parents aren't encouraged to have develop their own blogs or the school post on parent blogs. Yeah, I mean, that's, so if I understand the question right, it's about other outreach that we did with maybe some of the, the community organizations, is that right? Yes, yes, okay. exactly. So, yeah, and that's a, that's another great point, and uh, thanks for bringing it up. So, yes, the, the other community organizations are incredibly important in, um, in making any of these technologies work. So in, in Maynard, it was the Chamber of Commerce, and it was the mm-hmm. local Lions Club, and it was presenting like at a school board meeting or, or other types of public meetings outside of city public meetings to educate people uh, on what the technology was. In addition, um, we had a park dedication in Maynard where we unveiled some the QR code program itself, and we had staff available to to help individuals with the technology and, and how they get it on their phones and what it is and how they read it. And so we always tried to make ourselves available to individuals that had questions as well as outreach. And so our outreach actually extended well beyond just the community organizations in Maynard. It was surrounding cities, surrounding states, surrounding countries that had interest in how a free technology could be used to make them more efficient and allow them to connect with citizens and to put information up in a very interesting and and exciting format. Mm -hmm. Did that that answer your question? Well, yes, for example, and also I have another question, for example, in your town of, um, in your town, for example, could a private, uh, a a commercial, uh, you know, little store, contact you and say, I want to have a QR, you know, um, barcode put on my storefront um, or my little library or my nonprofit. I want to have one there so that people can see what time I, you know, find out more information about us. Can we have a barcode for our establishment? Sure. And so what we did there, just so, uh, just to be clear with that, um, we couldn't, provide, like we couldn't use taxpayer money to provide something for a business, um, but we could provide knowledge transfer. And the knowledge transfer actually took place um, after hours in my own time just to educate people on the technology and how they could use it for their business. But that's really how we were able to get businesses involved. It was just a knowledge transfer thing because there's such a sticky uh, situation with using taxpayer money for a business. Um, So we did it just through educating them on how they could start and uh, and they were able to actually do it on their own. Mhm. Okay. So, but we were definitely available. We had questions all the time from from people and individuals and businesses that that wanted to know about it and how they could get started. And we were always available to provide the information. And uh, we even made a white paper. Um, it's still online. It's a city managed website that has more information about our program and and the tools that we use to make it happen. That's fantastic. Um, we'll uh, we'll track down that. Link and we'll we'll put it in the Google Docs for everyone to access. Um, so on the on the topic of of feedback here, Dustin, um, you you talk about being available to answer questions. Uh, was there any other situations where you were going out and sourcing community feedback for other situations that you found challenging once you actually had that information? Sourcing community feedback. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, that was part of the, the reason why we created Maynard Labs was you shouldn't have to go to a public meeting to provide insight or input in your community. You should be able to do it um, in another form. Was that uh, was that your question? 
just sure. to yeah. make sure I'm heading down the right uh, the right, right rabbit hole. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so that's what we that's what we did, and we wanted people to be able to provide input, even if they didn't live in our city limits. If they lived in our ETJ, they still you know had a reasonable say in what in what was going on in the community, and we wanted to provide them a platform to do so. And I think that when it comes to a hot topic or issues that are very important for a for a city to consider. You know, you shouldn't have to just show up at a meeting and sign up to speak in order to voice those. You should be able to send them in in a variety of formats. And so we chose to use a dedicated channel to do that. Individuals could still show up. They could still email in, and, you know, their their comments, and, and they could also phone them in. But uh, we wanted a way to just really capture everything, and that's part of the reason why we started opening up different channels for communication and, and different ways that we could, um, you know, tap the crowd and also different ways that we could learn from, you know, data that was on Facebook and, and on Twitter, you know, if people had questions or comments or, you know, anything that they wanted to know about, we were able to provide responses and make sure that they were heard, regardless of how they communicated with us on. So I think it's important to to always have, um, you know, the approach that communication should be a two-way street within government agencies. And there's definitely a lot of fear and there's a lot of challenge there. And the challenge being what happens when I start listening. And, I, you know, once you open that door, you have to start responding. And so that's definitely a challenge that we encountered in Maynard. You know, it's the fear of, okay, there's 34 employees. We're going to open the door to a worldwide audience. How are we going to respond to this? And so it's making sure that up front you have plans in place and strategies on how you're going to handle this. You know, what happens if someone tweets a, a freedom of information request? How do you respond? Um, you know, what happens if someone posts an idea that says, you know, I think you should impeach the president instead of your jurisdiction? How do you respond? You have so many different things that you're going to be inundated with. And although you cannot possibly uh, plan for all of them, you have to have a plan in place to regularly review and adapt your strategies. And you have to have more than one person um, involved in the process. So you, uh, And it's also good to have people from the community involved that can provide, you know, insight. Um, what I found, even though I came from banking into government, I found that, you know, I, I took a government approach of sometimes, you know, expecting that people understood the way things worked. And uh, so it's always good to have that outside opinion and an outside uh, person at the table that can tell you, you know, that's not very clear to me. I think that, uh, you know, you should reword this or I think you should phrase it this way. So, uh, so just some lessons learned from Maynard in that regard. I think that's... Fantastic insight. Um, I'm I'm really interested uh, how how you did make sure that you had plans in place to deal with these responses. Um, certainly, a challenge that that I've heard people voice in the past is um, is quite a uh, structured way of thinking around communications and the challenge that they find when they start to move into more of a conversational way of communicating with people. Um, how, how, did you, how did you kind of broach that with, with the local folks at Maynard as, as a way of interacting with people? That's a great question. I mean, essentially, the way that we put plans in place is by understanding the technology and what it is, and, and again, you know, to use business value. I guess I'm a business major by trade, so I like the word business. So it's understanding the technology and how it works. And, uh, and when it has a business value, it's much easier to put something in place to manage it. But if you put something up just for marketing purposes, then you're not thinking about, you know, the what-ifs. Um, so it's understanding and having a mission of what you want to accomplish with it. So you stand up a Facebook page for your community. You know, I always say, what is, what is your goal? What are you trying to accomplish with that medium of communication? 
And you want to make sure that you have a goal. It could be, you know, hey, I want to allow citizens that are plugged into Facebook to connect um, and get press releases, you know, if they're not able to come by City Hall and read the bulletin board. Well, that's a valid mission, but it's set up front. And so there's that expectation of, okay, this is what the channel is designed to do, and everyone understands the mission of that channel, and, uh, and you're able to plan for that. So, you know, I guess to answer your question, first you want to identify, you know, what it is you're trying to do with the technology, and then identify goals and set goals on how you're going to do that with the technology, and then, again, measure and adapt to make sure that you're meeting those goals. That's, uh, I think that's great advice. I, I want to throw out to the the people on the call again. Uh, I saw that someone had a, a comment here around using a GIS mapping system, on, uh, and then and starting to use Facebook and Twitter for publicizing events. Um, is is the person on the call? Uh, would you like to to elaborate on that a little more and tell us about the experiences you're having? Or we may have lost them. They may have. Uh, That's not a problem. And anyone, if if uh, for some reason you want to ask a question off of a, a public conversation, feel free to shoot me an email, and I I know they're going to post my email up as well. But I'm always happy to uh, to bounce questions or ideas off of. Yeah, we sure will. Um, thanks, Justin. Um, I I want to uh, I want to ask a, a couple more questions here. I I think that. Certainly one of the things I'm hearing from you, Dustin, is the the need for some really good planning and and kind of thought infrastructure behind this work. Um, if there are if there are three kind of first steps that people could take um, to start engaging with this in a more meaningful way in their communities, what what would you say are the, the, the top three or top five things people should do? Um, the first one is easy. Start small. Don't try to implement every single technology that's out there uh, because another city is doing it. You want to make sure you start small and that you understand and that you can measure your success going forward. Um, you know, trying to do everything at once is, is not always a, a wise decision. Um, I have some, some experience there in, in learning that, so learn from my mistakes. So start small. And uh, you know, the second point being look at where the communication is already taking place. So Maynard, you know, when I got there, we had the approach that uh, we were not going to participate in social media, uh, you know, due to the challenges and the legal constraints, et cetera. But what we realized is that we were the only party that was out of the conversation, and that was important because information was being put out about our agency that we were not able to actually validate and provide accurate information for. And so look at where existing conversations are happening. They may be happening at a coffee shop um, in Maynard's case, or they may be happening on Twitter or on a Facebook group. And that's the channel that you want to tap into first. Um, and then when it comes to, um, you know, engaging citizens with, with uh, you know, collecting ideas and things like that, you want to find a way that you can manage the process. And you want to find a way, you know, once you open the door to all of these different ideas and channels and innovation, you have to have a way that you can manage that. And it's really important to do. And, and uh, you know, in Maynard, we use the Maynard Labs platform to manage, you know, all of the innovation and ideation aspects of the city. But it's important that, you know, when you open the door, <laughs> you think about, okay, you know, what happens if I have, you know, a thousand ideas come in? How am I going to process these and, and not just have them, you know, sitting in the queue somewhere? So... I could, I think I could like add on to like <laughs> to the list by like ninety ninety nine more, but uh, <laughs> I'll yeah. leave it at that. <laughs> so, 
Excellent. All right. So I am. Um, I just I want to give uh, anyone on the call just one more chance. If you if you do have any comments or questions, Becca, I think if you had a question to to add in there. Um, Uh, or not. Um, so I think that we've we've had a pretty good overview here of of some of the ways that we can start to tackle some of these challenges. Um, and to me, the the really strong ideas that are coming through are having some really solid plans, some really good understanding of the the ecosystem and the community of decision makers that you're dealing with. And then um, a very clear idea uh, around implementation and the steps that you can take uh, incrementally to start getting some of this stuff off the ground. Justin, does that sound right to you? Am I missing anything? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's good. I, I just encourage you to just start small. Uh, it's going to be overwhelming, but just start somewhere. And even if you start, you know, with yourself or your cubicle bay, Start looking at what's taking place within technology that's out there. Start looking at you know trends and different things that are going on. It's quite interesting when you start to get into it and you start to read it, and just start somewhere because um, you know that's that's exactly how Maynard's journey began, and um, that's continuing. Um, that journey is continuing to progress um, just by starting small. You know, looking at one thing that you can do to change and making a meaningful impact, or you know one idea that you can get to uh, the right place. So. Um, anyone can do it. There's there's no magical secret sauce um, associated with what Maynard did. Uh, it, there's a science to what we did, in fact, um, and it it means that anyone can do the same thing. Uh, there's nothing special about me, and there's nothing special about what's in place there now. But it's just the fact that you know uh, this we tap the citizens, and we realize that the crowd is wise, and that. Um, everyone is an expert in something, and everyone has something meaningful that they can do to impact uh, municipal government. So, fantastic! It's uh, inspiring words. Yasmin, did you uh, did you have anything else you wanted to add uh, as we as we kind of wrap up the call here? Yeah, no. I mean, I think um, you know, Dustin, your story is is so inspiring and really makes it real for people. I think. Um, the important thing to note is that it 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 can be done. Um, I think a, a a good plan and some inspiration um, can take you a long way. So, yeah. so exactly. I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up the the call. I I think um, this has been a really uh, a really great hour full of some really interesting insights from Dustin. I would encourage anybody, if you do have questions or comments, to throw them into the document. We'll be distributing this among the, the callers and uh, we'll make the, the recording available to you as well. Um, I, would, I would really encourage everyone to, to take what Dustin and Yasmin have said on board and, and get inspired to, to start a little project if you haven't already. And, and if you have, just keep it up. Um, like Dustin said, this is stuff that you learn by doing. Um, so I, I would like to thank everyone for joining us today, um, especially Dustin and Yasmin, and uh, thanks, thanks everyone very much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.